0: It's Twin Bills, the Red Sox podcast from the Sports Department of the Providence Journal. Featuring Red Sox beat writer Bill Koch, along with sports editor Bill Corey. Now, Twin Bills. Hello and welcome to this week's Twin Bills podcast. Uh, This is Bill Corey, sports editor of the Providence Journal. With me is the recently returned from steamy, hot Washington, D.C., Red Sox beat writer Bill Koch. Welcome home. Thanks, Bill. Great to be back, actually. It was uh, it was
1: a long couple days in Washington, that's for sure. Yeah, I heard the uh, I heard the setup wasn't exactly ideal for the writers. Uh, I'm not necessarily going to go into details and <laughs> bore the listeners. Uh, I'm not going to sit there and sound like a spoiled brat, uh, because granted, you get to go to the All-Star game. It's a wonderful thing. You know? mm. you know, like I say to one of my good friends, Chris Urcillo, all the time, uh, my job is 90% Stealing and ten percent earning. Um, this, unfortunately, though, fell into the ten percent category. It was uh, it was poorly planned, poorly executed, and you know, really just I I didn't think it was a a, a great experience on the whole provided by Major League Baseball. Uh,
0: well, hopefully, this is uh, right. We'll stick to the earning part uh, right now. But uh, yeah, I, I, from from what I've heard and read, uh, yeah, the, the setup could have been a little bit better for the writers. But who cares about the writers? Bill, right.
1: Yeah, we're totally relevant. <laughs> which I mean, you know, I've come
0: to terms with that, right? Right. But uh, on the field, though, uh, from what you could have, what you could see uh, from your obstructed view seat, it was at least an exciting game. At least I thought.
1: Yeah. Record uh, ten home runs hit in the game. Uh, we got extra innings for the second year in a row. Um, American League wins it eight to six. Uh, Didn't it, end in a tie, which is no. good. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Bud Selig, right. for that stain on baseball. The fact that he's going into the Hall of Fame is a whole separate <laughs> podcast. Um, but really, it was Houston's players bailing out Houston's manager, in my mind, because the American League was short on pitching there, going into the 10th, uh, when Edwin Diaz blew the save, giving up a two-run homer to Scooter nett The American League was short, and for Alex Bregman and George Springer to hit home runs leading off the 10th, they really spared A.J. Hinch what could have been some difficult decisions if that game had gone on for a little while. Well, uh, speaking of American League being short on pitching, they did have one other pitcher
0: that they could have used in the bull pen that they didn't use obviously was Boston's own uh, Craig Kimbrell uh, the Sox closer. Uh, great news for the Sox and Sox fans that he wasn't used because that gives them a nice long break. Uh, and as you uh, pointed out uh, in your article I believe in today's journal uh, you know, it kind of helps when Alex Cora was the former bench coach of the Houston Astros no? Yeah,
1: it's nice when uh, you have a line into the All-Star Manager and you can have your players used in the way that you want them to be used. Uh, Chris Sale started the game through one inning. He was outstanding. Nine pitches, Nine I believe. Pitches. Right. Uh, six fastballs at 99-plus. Uh, looked fresh and you know excited. Uh, obviously, his third straight time starting the game for the American League, which ties a record set by Lefty Gomez and Robin Roberts. Uh, is the first player to do that in 60-odd years. So very impressive and, and well-deserved considering the first half he had. You got to hold out Craig Kimbrell, who would have been working for the fifth time in seven days. Uh, you know, the point, I made was that's like a postseason workload. You play games one and two of a series, you have an off day. You play games three and four of a series, you have an off day. Then you play game five. That's five out of seven. I don't necessarily want Craig Kimbrell being extended like that in July when you know this team is going to be playing into October. Uh, some nice moments as well for J.D. Martinez, who had the first hit of the game, single to center off Max Scherzer in the first. Uh and a great night for Mitch Moreland uh, in his first time as an All-Star, his ninth year in the league. Got three at-bats and had two hits, and one of them was against Josh Hader, who uh, made news for all the wrong reasons, right. the Milwaukee lefty, but uh, that was a tough matchup for Moreland. You, he came in to the game in the sixth inning. His first two at-bats were against power left-handers, Felipe Vasquez from Pittsburgh and then Hader from Milwaukee. Not an easy assignment, and, and like he said afterwards, uh, that's part of the fun of going there. You get to play the best of the best and and sort of test yourself against the best of the best. And he finally got a chance to do that. It was well deserved.
0: No, it was, and it was an, it was nice to uh, to see somebody like that who's you know who's been a good player for uh, for several years. And I got a kick out of uh, I think it was JD Martinez's quote that said something like you know we're we all in a group chat, so we so Mitch knows where to go. Kind <laughs> yes, of
1: <thing>. he did, <laughs> he did. Uh,
0: but uh, you know this just sort of reinforces my long held belief that really the All Star Game is really the only. Pro sport all star game that's worth watching. I, I would say the baseball all star game is first, and all the other all star games are tied for for worst. Uh, and uh, you know it's obvious that the reasons uh, the, the others you can't really play uh, at at full full blast, so to speak. And in baseball, you know it's it's still that pitcher versus batter uh, challenge. And you know it doesn't matter if it's the all star game or not. You know the pitcher's trying to get the guy out, and the batter's trying to hit the ball a mile.
1: Yeah, it's it's the closest to the true representation of the game. As opposed to the other three, the NBA and the NHL are, are just offensive scoring fests, uh, essentially. And and football, the season's already over. Guys are just trying not to get hurt. They're going right. on vacation in Hawaii or or in Miami. Um, Right, and the nature of the game
0: is, you know, there's a game plan and all that stuff in regular season play, and you can't really replicate that in, a, in, a, in an all star setting.
1: You know, by that point, their bodies are completely taxed. If, right. if you're looking at guys who have played into the playoffs or, or into their respective conference championship games, they've played 20, 21 games when you include the playoffs. Preseason, etc. It's just it's not conducive to have an All Star game for football, baseball. As you pointed out correctly, in my mind, is very unique in that regard that you can play it in the middle of the season and actually play it like a real game. Sure, sure, yeah, and it's you know it's watered down to to a bit now.
0: Obviously, we don't uh, you know uh, there's a lot of interleague play. It's not like uh, before when it was kind of a thrill to see American leaguers face National leaguers. But you know, still, I mean, when when you've got um, you know Max Scherzer. Facing the top three batters, those in that fantastic AL lineup, it's you know it's something to behold if you're a baseball fan.
1: Yeah, I mean you know Mookie Betts addressed that uh, Monday on the media day. He facing Max Scherzer twice in, in two and a half weeks. Uh, you know, in the second time, obviously you're facing him in his home park, starting the All Star game, uh, knowing he's only going to pitch an inning or two, so he's revved up from the start. You know, coming out throwing 97-98. and uh, you could feel the energy in the crowd when when he just went out to warm up in the bullpen Hmm. before the start, probably about 730, uh, you know, went out into right field and and started to stretch a little bit and, you know, got a standing ovation from the dugout all the way out there. and, And, you know, it just reminded you of how invested people are, whether it's an exhibition or not, how much they do care and how much they do look forward to it. So, uh, you know, besides uh, the fact that uh,
0: you didn't have the best vantage point, I think it was a pretty good night uh, for baseball, uh, regardless.
1: I I would say so. I mean, I I saw online, you know, a few complaints about too many strikeouts and, you know, it's just the home runs and it looks like a softball game. Guys the pitching is really, really good. I mean, you look at these guys, they're all thrown 100, you know, with these ridiculous secondary pitches. Uh, Even the starters, like Blake Snell's out there, third for the American League, throwing 98 miles an hour. Yeah, And he's a power guy, but you don't see that in the regular season. Um, Then you start bringing in these relievers and it's like, you know, I mean, these guys just have wipeout stuff. They're striking out 14, 15 guys per nine innings. You're not going to have three singles and a triple and a double and You know these five and six hit rallies. It's just not the way the game's going to be played. No, and they're putting it on display because
0: they know they're only out there probably for an inning, right? You know, so they're not really holding back. And uh, yeah, I mean, I just think uh, it's it's still a uh, it's still a fun game to watch. I mean, I I prefer that it doesn't count for anything anymore. Uh, I think that's the way to go. But uh, I agree with that. But all in all, I think it was a uh, it was a good night. Uh, So here we are on um, the eve, I guess, of the. True second half, and well, not mathematically the true second half, but from what from what as baseball fans think of as the second half of the season, even though the Red Sox have played just about a uh, hundred games, it's
1: it's probably the final two fifths, <laughs> right? I
0: guess you could say. Uh, and the Red Sox are uh, are looking pretty good. I mean, if you check the uh, standings in this morning's Providence Journal, they are sixty eight and thirty. Uh, they have a four and a half game cushion over the Yankees in the AL East. They resume play on. Uh, on Friday in Detroit I believe correct Uh, and so here we are sort of hitting the stretch and as you uh, wrote in today's Providence Journal um, um, you know the Red Sox are going to benefit from some help and they have
1: some and they have some challenges injury wise as well yeah, there are a few things that, that they're going to have to deal with here over the next few weeks. Obviously, you know, in the starting rotation, you have Eduardo Rodriguez going down with a right ankle sprain. His last start before the break, uh, the shame of it was that he was really pitching well. He had 19 straight scoreless innings. Um, you know, and that, that's going to make them a little thin for a little bit here. Uh, the rotation coming out of the break will be David Price on Friday, Brian Johnson on Saturday, Chris Sale on Sunday, Rick Porcello on Monday. Uh, whoever draws that Tuesday start in ball. Baltimore. It could be Hector Velasquez. It could be Drew Pomeranz. at this point.
0: Who did who did uh, very well for himself in Charlotte last night with
1: the Paw Sox. Yeah, through six one-hit innings, and, and it was by far his best rehab start of the season. Uh, you know, and, and this is the ideal time for it, because in my mind, Rodriguez suffered strained ligaments in the ankle. That's probably a four- to six-week injury, which takes you to the start of September. And you wonder whether or not You know, much like David Price last year when he came back and went into the bullpen for the postseason. You wonder whether or not Rodriguez will have enough time to build himself up to be the fourth starter in the playoffs. I I have my doubts about that. But do you think he could be an effective bullpen uh, arm
0: uh, if he does come back in early September?
1: Yeah, I see him as a power guy who throws a mid-90s fastball, who has a couple decent out pitches. um, And for an inning or two at a time, you know, two or three games in a series, I think he could be very effective. So if that
0: were the case, and we're just just sort of uh, you know uh, speculating here, so we, so you'd have a sort of a playoff rotation here of Chris Sale, David Price, Rick Porcello, and then a fourth guy could be Pomeranz, maybe Steven Wright, somebody who you may or may not need on every fourth game, uh, and uh, you'd have um, you'd have Eduardo Rodriguez in the bullpen uh, to help out uh, in those late innings.
1: Yeah, I, I've got a couple interesting thoughts on that. The, the first of which is you know, when you're in the division series, which is only five games, you start Chris Sale in in game one, obviously. If you get to the ALCS somehow, game one is at home, especially, I would start David Price. And I would do it because if David Price blows up in game one, you can make contingency plans going forward and not start him again. Mm -hmm. You could pitch around him. You could have Sale start game two or game three, which would line him up for game six or game seven. Flip-flop him and Porcello, whatever you want to do. But at that point, you would have to give up on price so throw him first get him out of the way it's seven games you lose one of them it's not the end of the world Um, all this is is long in the future obviously but it's worth starting to think about because the Red Sox as you said 68-30 the best record in the league Uh, they and the Yankees have run away with the race here in the American League East Uh, they have a comfortable lead in terms of that first wild card spot never mind the second one Um, you know they're, they're Nine or ten games ahead, and you know, very, very comfortable position at this point. So, you might see decisions made here over the last sixty games or so by Alex Cora to line up the pitching staff, or give guys rest, or you know, sort of try different lineup combinations toward the bottom if if he wants to. Uh, That's the luxury that they have right now because they've started so well. Uh, Well, you know, since we are sort of uh, hitting the playoffs here, let's uh,
0: let's blue sky a little bit and say, okay. What defines a successful Red Sox season this year? This is a team that has won back-to-back ALEs championships, went out with a whimper. Obviously, they're on are on pace to, to win 110 games or something to that effect. Right. Uh, so what defines success? I mean, obviously, if they win the World Series, it's, it's a successful season. But short of that, obviously, I think they have to at least get by the first playoff series this year. They can't do what they've done in the last two years because then sort of, it just sort of you, you know, begs the question, are they any better? Uh, what do you think a
1: successful season for the Red Sox are? Well, you you have the highest payroll in baseball right now. It's about two hundred thirty six million. Mm-hmm. So at the very least you have to win at least one playoff series in my mind you have to get to at, least at, uh, least at least one at least one I would say you're uh, right um, you know if, if you're spending that much money uh, it, it demands a result at the end and, and it's not just winning the division again now, granted if you're able to do that and, and overcome the Yankees here the last 65 games or so um, that'll be a good achievement because the Yankees are very good and, and I expect them to add someone before the trade deadline who can help them be even better you uh, mm-hmm. You know, But winning the division isn't enough and doesn't feel like it would be enough for the players either. I, I don't think they would be content with it. I think they were stung a little bit by the fact that their last two seasons have been labeled a failure. And, and I think they've had a really fresh approach this year under Alex Cora, sort of – Playing with a looseness, uh, a comfort level that maybe you didn't see over the last two seasons, and you just hope that that translates into the games that really count in October. Yeah, I mean it's it's you know it's obvious the Red Sox themselves, the organization, didn't think the last two
0: seasons were successful because they fired the manager, right? You know, uh, which um, you know doesn't happen
1: very often after you win the division, right? So they set the baseline for what they think successful right. is. It's not winning the division, exactly. It's not winning the division and then going out in the first round. No, and, that's not enough. Uh,
0: you mentioned the trade deadline. We've got that bearing down on us here in another week, week and a half or so. Um, got to think it's going to be some form of pitching, right? Uh, you know, with, with Erod going down, do they, do they try to get another starter? Do they bolster the bullpen? What's, uh, what's your thoughts here as we, as we head into the end of the month?
1: Well, we've already kicked into high gear with the Orioles finally making their move, trading Manny Machado to the Dodgers uh, for five prospects. Uh, you know, the Orioles, obviously, a total non-factor in the AL East. They're 40 games below 500, But this is a significant development uh, in terms of the Red Sox' future. I think it's a total win for them f- on multiple levels. The fact that Machado did not go to the Yankees is a good thing. The fact that the Red Sox get to play Baltimore nine more times, three more series, is a good thing. Because if they deal off Zach Britton and, and some other pieces as well, you have to figure that they could be even worse than they are right now. I, I know that doesn't seem possible. Possible, but you're playing them nine times. You've already dominated them through the first three series. This is a gift yep. for Boston to just keep pounding on on the basement dwellers here in the AL East. Yeah, and it certainly, as you mentioned, it certainly helps that the uh, that
0: the Yankees didn't pick pick up Machado. Although you know, I didn't think they really needed him. They have they no. plenty of right-handed pop. Why would you need another right-handed power hitter?
1: Right, and especially one who's going to walk away at the end of the year and be a free agent, most likely. Sure. Uh, um, you know, why trade right. prospects now if you feel like you're going to sign him in the right. offseason. That doesn't make any sense right. to give up someone like Justice Sheffield, who was the supposed centerpiece going back to Baltimore, left handed pitcher, a top 30 prospect in baseball. Um, you know, the type of guy who helps keep your payroll down. I, I mean, if you look at the Yankees right now, they're at 166 they're well under the luxury tax threshold of 197 and that's mainly because they've brought through so much young talent here recently if you look at Aaron judge or Glaber Torres or you know the list goes on and on and on um, you know their farm system has been very productive here and it, it's really set them up to a point where they can make a major acquisition here at the trade deadline or go out and make a significant splash in free agency and I know
0: that uh, my feeling and I think your' feeling all, all season long has been the Yankees are going to go out. And get somebody here at the at, uh, at the at the trading deadline, and it's probably going to be an arm.
1: It would make sense if they you know, got in the market for a starter. You the names you hear are like Jay Happ from Toronto, maybe Cole Hamels from Texas. Um, you know, no one who really moves the needle. No, They're, there's nobody out there. There's no sort of you know Chris Sale like pitcher out there that right. that, that you could uh, g- grab. I don't think. Right. You know, and if you're looking to, yeah, that's the type of trade where you would trade a guy like Sheffield. Um, if you were getting a, a cost-controlled starter, maybe someone who's a, a one or a two, and who probably has a couple of years left of arbitration eligibility, that—that's the type of trade that you, know, you would like to make sure. every single time if you're a GM, uh, you know. But of course. You know, Some of the guys who, who you would want to get in the market for are in your own division. You can't get them. Like You're not going to get Chris Archer. You're right. not going to get Blake Snell. Um, you know, those guys are too good. They're probably not going to move. Uh, but if you're the Yankees, you, you're probably going to pick up another starter. That, that's probably what you need. If you're the Red Sox, and, and I wrote about this a little bit uh, for Thursday's Journal. If you're the Red Sox, you're up against the luxury tax right now. You can only add about a million more dollars before you go over it. In my mind, if they're going to make a move, if I were Dave Dombrowski... Why go over it by two or three million dollars? Make a real move right. for a real bullpen arm or a real starter, mm-hmm. not someone who's duct tape and, and chewing gum at the back end of the bullpen or at the back end of the rotation. Make a real sure. big move. If you're going to break the bank, break the bank
0: uh, for somebody worth it, so to speak. Right? right.
1: And and whoever that is who might be out there, whether it's a Zach Britton or, or Brad Hand, who's a San Diego left hander, he was an all star, uh, could certainly be a seventh or an eighth inning guy. And, you know, profiles is maybe a few future closer if, if you choose not to retain Craig Kimbrell right. um, this offseason but I, I just I see the Red Sox is if they're going to be a player in the trade market I think they're going to be a significant one I, I don't think I don't think that it's worth going over the tax losing 10 spots in the draft paying financial penalties to Major League Baseball to add the next Brad Ziegler or Addison Reed that just doesn't make a lot of sense mm-hmm. to me yeah. I, I don't know how you feel about it but I just can't really see them doing that
0: no it, it's it's one of the drawbacks of, of them being so so tight up against uh, that uh, that that penalty line because yeah you you wouldn't want to just get sort of a, a middle relief guy or even a uh, you know somebody to set up the closer uh, and pay that kind of a penalty for it. I mean, it's a pretty steep penalty.
1: It is. You know? It is. You're talking about a 42% tax on all overages, which is a significant financial penalty. Plus the draft picks, which which and, uh, the Sox are in dire
0: need of. I mean, you know that's that's the knock on this organization here in the last year or two is they're
1: pretty their cupboard is bare, so to speak. Yeah, that 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 one is even worse because you're already picking in the mid 20s to begin with. You have the best record in baseball. You're going to be 25, 26, you know, 29, 30, somewhere down there at the end. of the first round to begin with. Now you're going to drop to forty. You know, thirty-five to forty. That's that's a significant. Significant drop off in terms of the type of player who you hope to acquire through the draft, and you know, I just I don't necessarily see them surrendering the draft capital. They have the money. I mean, it's it's easy for me to spend somebody else's money, right? I can just say, John Henry, just go ahead and pay the tax. Well, they have it, so yeah, they you got the money, John. Go ahead, (laughs) you know, just shake one of your trees there in in your Brookline home, and and, you know, get some money out. Um, You know, but certainly losing the draft position, I, I think. Isn't very palatable of them, and and I think the only way that you can rationalize doing something like that is if you make a real serious move. Yeah. Um. You know, we mentioned a little bit Chris Archer. Boy, where, where do the Rays get all these
0: pitchers from? I and mean, talk about a, a farm system that that just continually produces. It's it's really remarkable. And you know, obviously they're not going to do anything this year, but they they climb over five hundred here. Um. And I bet there they'll be uh they'll be someone to reckon with here in in the next in the next few years. They just seem to. You're talking about John Henry's. Trees, their trees um, uh, seem to uh, seem to yield pitching all seems to yield pitching all the time.
1: Yeah, it, it's it's pretty remarkable, you know. And you go back to someone like David Price, who you know was a first round pick. He he was one one for them, uh, you know, and someone who just was right into the bullpen, right on the team, immediately became one of the best starters in the American League and in baseball. Um, you know, it, it was just and, and it happened like that. Yep. It was instantaneous when he came out of Vanderbilt. Um, you know, and you you look at some of the guys who they have now, uh, you know, whether it's like someone like Chaz Rowe, who's a decent reliever, or, or Snell, who's only a year in and makes $550,000 this <laughs> wow. year. Um, you know, Jacob Faria, who they're very high on, who's a right-hander who, you know, came through the system last year and the year before. Um, you know, Ryan Yarbrough, who is a, a total nobody. You know, just you, you never heard of him before this season. And you know, all of a sudden, he's become a, a reliable left-handed starter for them. They're, they're just able to produce these guys, and what that does, you know, people look at Tampa and they say, "Well, they're frugal and they don't spend, and you know, they don't necessarily have the revenue." All that is true, but. What that does for you is it allows you to avoid the position the Red Sox are in, where they feel like they need to go out and sign these high-priced free agents. David Price, they're praying that he opts out of that contract. That's bad money at this point. He's not a thirty-one million dollar a year pitcher, and you've just you've thrown that away. You've thrown away that flexibility. Um, you've thrown away that ability. To make your team better at other positions, because you've had to go out and spend like that.
0: Uh, true, and uh, unfortunately, if you are uh, somebody who uh, values frugality, I don't think uh, David Price is walking away from that contract. Absolutely uh, not. <laughs> so, I think the Red Sox are, uh, are going to be uh, on the hook for that one, for sure. Uh, so... Uh, Again, Boston opens up its sort of uh, its its second half on Friday at Detroit, um, and if you look at the the schedule down the road here for the Red Sox, uh, obviously they have they have uh, matchups with the Yankees coming up, but. Um um,
1: Bill Corey's a popular yeah, guy. Yeah, you know, it's hard for, to do a, to do a podcast
0: this. when when your phone just keeps blowing up here. For, for sure anyone it's, who, who can hear this in the background, <laughs> Bill Corey's cell phone is ringing. I'm sure it's just telemarketers trying to sell me electricity or something. Either but, uh,
1: that or, or maybe you're going to have a scoop on the trade deadline here. <laughs> you, you got a, you got any maybe. old sources from uh, your time at the Boston maybe. Herald? Maybe. Yeah, you never know. Might be trying to get in touch here. Yeah. Um, it's I impressive. doubt it. It's I impressive. doubt it. Yeah, yeah. but uh, their
0: uh, their road ahead doesn't look so bad. At least not in the immediate few weeks. It, it looks like it, they should be able to pile up some wins here, Bill.
1: No, September is is where it really picks up. Uh, you're looking at three games at the Braves, who who obviously are going pretty well in the NL East. Then you've got the Astros coming to Fenway for three, uh, and you play the Yankees six times in September. You also play the Indians in in a series there, three games in Cleveland. Um, you know those are obviously going to be huge. Games and, and determine you know their playoff positioning going forward, whether or not they can finish this off in the AL East and, and keep going into the postseason. Um, but you're right, coming out of the break, you know Detroit, you, you wouldn't necessarily think of as, as someone who should be a problem. Um, you, know, you go to Baltimore after that; they, they've already waved the white flag, That's said right. they're going to be selling. Uh, you know you have the Twins coming in after that for four. Minnesota isn't you know sort of a middle of the packish team who, who shouldn't really scare you at home. I know they gave them. A hard time on the road, um, and then you start August off with four games at Fenway against the Yankees, and, and that you know that's really where, as JD Martinez said at the All Star break, you just try to get through August. You just try to get through there healthy and. Feeling pretty good because September—that's when it ramps the up. Excitement Absolutely. really starts. You start watching the scoreboard in left field at sure. Fenway Park. You're looking at what the Yankees did, what the Mariners did, um, you know what the Indians are doing. Uh, that's the fun time for players for sure. And obviously, the last series of the
0: season, I believe, is against the Yankees. That's home, right there at Fenway for that. that. Home, so yes. th- that will—that's uh, certainly shaping up to be, I think, a uh, would be a great series. If if they still, you know, if they're still within. Been striking distance, and why wouldn't they? Why wouldn't they be? They, they've been uh, within three or four games really all year long. That that could shape up to be a great series at the end.
1: Here's a smoking hot take: The Red Sox will have the division wrapped up before the Yankees show up at the wow. Park on September 20th. So they'll have at least a, uh, a four-game lead. Yes, they will. Right? Is it a four-game
0: series at the end? It's a three-game three-game series. Game series. Okay, so they'll, yes. so they'll so they'll have at least a four. game They will lead. have the division wrapped up. All right. Well, you've heard you heard it here first on uh, July uh, 19th that uh, the Red Sox will. Wrap up the division before the Yankees. Of course, you know we're gonna have to bring dust, dust this off and bring it out of uh, bring it out of the archives. If that's not the case, Bill.
1: And, and I'm prepared to wear that, it's fine. I'll, I'll I'll do it grudgingly, but but I will do it. Uh, I, I am a man of my word, and I will stand behind it. And with that, uh, we'll wrap up
0: this uh, episode of the Twin Bills Podcast, complete with new intro music. I'm told, excellent. Uh, yeah, so uh, hopefully that's yes. actually uh, that actually takes. No, no. Thanks to the folks who put that together. Yeah, I mean, our, our uh, colleagues, uh, Gatehouse colleagues, uh, who are uh, doing all that stuff behind the scenes for us. That that means we've officially hit the big time, don't I it? think so? Yeah, right. I mean, a few more se- a few more uh, episodes, and we could do syndication. You can, know? can we
1: can we get sponsored? Well, now you're talking so, crazy. No, well, yeah. no, I mean just like, <laughs> you know, like free lunch once a week at a, a Providence establishment, maybe. If I you heard, I
0: heard there's no such thing as a free lunch, uh, but uh, well, well, anyway, you never know.
1: Okay, <laughs> all right, uh, that'll
0: wrap it up, and we will uh, do it again a week from today. Thanks, Bill. Thank you.